Just the general tone of this conversation, I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right, Scott, how are you doing today? Doing well. These uh, The last week, you know, what I think the saying is sometimes you're the bug, sometimes you're the windshield. And it felt like for a couple of weeks, I was the bug on more days than not. But we've hit this groove here the last probably two weeks now where we're just, every, everything is falling our way and is going really well. So those weeks are good and we celebrate them and high five as they come. And then you walk into this podcast today and it's with another amazing group, right? And it's funny. And Rebecca and I still haven't met face-to-face, just like you and I, Conrad. But it is, and it's amazing to see how well this comes together, right? I, you, We've never met. I met Steve, right, in February and just... How close we are and how close this industry pulls us is just is incredible. I am super thankful for today and just for every day with all of you guys. Yeah, no, it's I know the feeling that you're describing that, you know, that feeling, but the bad weeks makes you make you appreciate the good weeks. So it's all good. Glad things are on the right track again and how to get back there when it needs to be. And I do think we, yeah, we've got some all stars joining us here today, but let me go over to Adam and see how he's doing. Adam, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Yeah, doing great here. Summer is in, in full swing. We passed 4th of July. The Outer Banks is jam-packed. I was just stuck in traffic for much longer than I wanted to. But to build on Scott's thought there, Scott shared a post on LinkedIn talking about riding a wave, which speaks to my language for sure. And I, it's exciting when all of these things match up and you get on a great wave and you're able to ride it out. But the nice thing about waves is they keep coming. So as long as you're willing to paddle back out and get on the next one, there's going to be something else great behind it. And I think it's just a matter of trust in the process. And we've been doing that, I think, on this podcast. I think that all of this stuff just continues to line up. If you just continue to show up every day and take the next step, something good is going to fall into place. And I think we've seen that on the podcast. I think we're seeing that in our business ventures. And then definitely to the point of this episode, it's interesting the way all of these pieces end up fitting together. And this is episode 30. So this is Steve's return. He comes in and chats with us every 10 episodes. So we're happy to have Steve back. But we also grabbed Rebecca to join us on this one as well, because I think there's some very interesting topics that we'll dive into. And before we jump over to Steve and Rebecca, I'll just tie a couple pieces together as I usually do. So I think the pieces that we're going to try to tie together today are one, a lot of the changes that we continue to talk that are happening in the industry. We continue to see it on LinkedIn. We continue to talk about it on this podcast. So we'll dive deeper into what we all see are those changes. How should we set ourselves up for success within those changes? And then the other piece that we've been talking about consistently is unreasonable hospitality. And we, Scott and I, have taken significant steps with our teams to head down that path of unreasonable hospitality. I know that Steve has been thinking along those lines. Rebecca is the one that I think introduced the book to us back in the day. So I think we've all got the similar mentality of, hey, this is something and it's probably the future of where this industry is going. So we'll dig into some of the changes and then we'll touch on unreasonable hospitality. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned we've got obviously two guests joining us today. So maybe Rebecca, we can bring you back in first and then we'll get over to Steve here in a second. Rebecca, welcome back. How are you doing? And yeah, what's your what's going on in your neck of the woods here today? Hey guys, thank you so much for letting me join you again. This is so much fun. I love books and I'm excited to talk about this book. And in particular, I was rereading it that there's quite a few mentions of the word magic in there. And based on a conversation that Scott and I originally had, about the influence of Disney. And now with Steve on the call, I'm really hoping to that we can dig into that a little bit during this chat. 
Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, Steve, welcome back. It's good to have you back. I think third time, definitely our most common guest, but that's a good thing in my opinion. So how are you doing? What's going on? And uh, yeah, ready to dive in today. I'm always glad to be back on and and the the number 10, 20s and 30s seem to be a lucky number for me. The uh, Yeah, just I'm here down in Rocky Point, Mexico, getting to celebrate my birthday with some people, with my team that I absolutely love, love some surprises. And yeah, just uh, getting a lot of work done, trying to cram two months worth not being here into the past three days. Uh, And actually last night, having a really great discussion on how the industry is changing and uh, some of the things that we need to do as a company, as an industry to make sure that we stay on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe then I'll go, go back your way, Adam, to set us up a little bit further. Kind of what I thought here we would start with is where are we at an in industry now? Maybe not a lot has changed in the last 10 episodes since we've had Steve and Rebecca on previously. I know Rebecca was on a few episodes ago as well, but where do you, we're here in summer, we're in a different mindset, I guess a little bit. So where are we now? Where are we headed? And how has that kind of culture war conversation that we had with Steve a while back impacted your thinking over the past month or two? Yeah, I'm still trying to get my feet under me with a lot of this discussion, honestly. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that we're having so many great discussions on the podcast about this. So we're getting a lot of different inputs from people that I trust their input. They've been in the industry for a long time. I I love what their perspectives are. We had a great chat with, with Amy Highnote last week that started to open up some different ideas. So my perspective And I'm definitely curious about where Steve's discussion was yesterday and love the idea of dragging some magic into this because I I agree with all of those perspectives. But where I am, I feel like this is moving a lot faster than the industry and probably all of us collectively understand. I think that the changes are coming at us really fast. And some of them we know, some of them we might not be able to anticipate. And sometimes there are unintended consequences once these changes start. But I think AI is definitely one of those changes. I think the potential outfall of Vacasa is one of those changes. I think some changes around OTAs. I think direct booking. I think the pattern of booking, lower ADRs, trying to keep occupancy up, the shifting needs around the guest and the shifting needs around the homeowner. I think all of those things are coming together at one time and the pace is really starting to pick up. So we're in the middle of summer And the majority of this industry is focused on executing, focused on operations, focused on just making sure that guests and homeowners stay happy enough to come again. The challenge with that is that it's hard to plan ahead when you're stuck in that phase. And that is a challenge with this overall industry. It's so cyclical that if you get stuck in the ruts where you're stuck in the summer and all you're doing is executing and not planning, then you're going to be be behind the curve once you hit the fall. And you're not going to be ready for the planning that should have taken place during the summer to execute as you hit the end of the year and then beginning of the year. And if you fall behind there, now you haven't planned for the next year. So I think that's a challenge overall in this industry is just getting the cycles right and understanding the planning. And if you get too stuck in your business, then I think you miss those windows of opportunity to execute on some of these bigger things. So if this pace truly is exponentially getting faster and faster. And that might be all parts of our life. As Matt Lando told us a couple of weeks ago, he viewed it as changes is everywhere. And I don't disagree with that, but I think that focused on, on this particular industry, this pace is really increasing very quickly. And if we can't look around and understand what's happening, there's going to be some outfall that is out of our control. But I'm curious, Steve, what was your conversation yesterday about? Yeah, so I, it became a conversation really about around the dinner table about how even here in Mexico, the proliferation of Airbnb is hitting to the point where people are putting their homes in town on, on Airbnb and then moving out for the day or two. 
and the expectations are happening. And interestingly enough, it's maybe one of the first times I've really seen it at a very local level, at least that we're a place I'm very intimately attached to where the infrastructure of the city is unable to keep up with with the the demand on the infrastructure. And it's, it's a struggle down here. And having to really sit down and think about what is the difference between a town, a city in the town, and a city, uh, and a excuse me, and a and a property on the beach, and what's going to attract them, and is it really just a concrete box that just happens under pretty view, or is it our hospitality that's going to keep bringing people back, and the way that they're treated, uh, the amenities they have, and letting people feel welcome and seen. Is that where the value lies or is it something different? This kind of reminds me a little bit of what Amy was saying last week, Scott. I wasn't sure your perspective on this, but she said that a little bit. Oh, properties that are on the beach are doing fine. She was mentioning her local market that she has a little bit more knowledge in, the Gulf Gulf Coast market. And then stuff that was further back that wasn't on the beach that's more residential is not doing as well. And then I think she said something to the effect of, and that's okay, or that's expected, or that we should be okay with that. What's your perspective on that? Is that just the case that what was desirable 20 years ago, being beachfront to Steve's point, is still desirable today and that's what we should be focused on? Or should we be also thinking of expanding the pool of available rentals? And how does that tie in with Steve's idea of hospitality versus just four walls and a door and that kind of thing? Yeah, so I think it's a perfect tie. And I took what Amy said, and Adam knows more than anyone. I, I was taking studious notes while Amy was talking. But yeah, I think that's part of the normalization, right? I, there was the, the big epic Twitter article, right? Where Airbnb was going down and this was 90% down. But to Amy's point, what she was saying is if you really localize it and go off the beaten path, that's where it's showing down. Mm -hmm. But she didn't see it as, hey, that's representative of the industry. She saw it as it's correcting itself. And I think Conrad, it goes to where Steve was in its expectations. I think Mm -hmm. people expect oceanfront when they go to the ocean, that's what they want. And as soon as they can have it back, I think that's where they're going. And I think that's likely why we're seeing some ADR stay higher, some stuff lagging entirely. I think the premium stuff, the ADRs are driving higher and all of it because the demand is still there. People dropping what they settle for and moving over into the beachfront stuff. And I think with that comes inherently high expectations because maybe they haven't had to have that beachfront vacation the last two years when things have been crazy. So as they move back and get their oceanfront back, I think expectations are going to be at a premium. And we talked about this last time. I offended someone. They took some of my posts as an insult when I've been saying, hey, service and hospitality has gone missing. It certainly is my perspective in Ocean City and Delaware. And I don't mean it of everyone's just walked away. And I thought Amy covered it very well. And then I had another conversation this week to cover it. If you really step back and see what's happened, right? You've got the Casa coming in. You've got Airbnb doing their thing. With COVID, we all went remote. Everyone, most everyone now is direct to unit. And we've talked about this in the last several podcasts. We have almost zero face-to-face with these clients or with these guests, right? So you look at it and go, I don't care who you are. You can have the best tech stack. That takes you further from the customer, right? Face-to-face interaction with them. May all be good, but you're still removed from them. Then you take some of these other things. Their expectations are coming higher And I stand by, and it's not an insult, I stand by, we've got to do something different as an industry to bring service back, right? To Steve's point, once they're in the box by the ocean, 
you got to remember that they're going to be happy just to be back, but they're going to have paid a premium to be there. So now they're going to feel like this is, I'm on the beach, but that's not enough. Now what's next for me? So I really think that's the plug in now to everything else that we've been talking about. But Amy, I thought was spot on. And even if you look now in some of the LinkedIn stuff, right, of the market's fine, everything's fine. In the last two weeks, we've saw that shift to, oh, these units have always been terrible. Oh, these (laughs) units, right? It's been this segment of inventory has never worked. Oh, but it did for two years. Not so much now. Yeah, that obviously makes it a little bit more challenging to everyone's, I think the expression is talking their own book, right? Whatever their sort of angle is, they're talking that book. And the person who posted said viral tweet that you're referring to, I think was talking his book, which was just completely misinformation. But Rebecca, let me go your way. I guess I'm curious, because I think from my understanding, you've been on both sides of this. You've been in the industry, but also you're a guest, you travel, you stay in properties too. Is the expectation is the expectation matching what you're paying for right now if you were to go out and book a property in insert whatever leisure market here? Or do you think that it's something where people aren't getting what they're paying for. And then that's where the disconnect can occur. I paid $5,000 for a beachfront vacation. And all I got was an automated door code and a thank you text at the end to, to Scott's point. I guess I'm curious your perspective on that. Yeah, thanks. So I think it's just starting off with the word luxury and like the expectation mm-hmm. of luxury equals a certain dollar amount. And the book actually talks about the word luxury, meaning it's just more of more, more expensive, more extras, more and more, whereas hospitality is thoughtfulness. And and I think that's the big difference that I'm seeing is that if you want that more expensive, more everything, you can get it. You're not necessarily going to get a hospitality experience with that. So I think that if you work with a brand that's like maybe a lower price point even, but the hospitality is top tier, you're walking away from that feeling amazing. So I think it's a branding exercise that we're all going through. I remember when I first started covering travel, I would not stay in a hostel. The word hostel, you have not just bad connotations, but there were actual horror movies made with the word hostel in it. So like where's the horror movie around Airbnb, right? So we're just learning that experience now and it's a branding trial. So everything that you're talking about is the experience I'm having with the brand is what people are learning at this time, I think. One of my most viral, if we want to call it that, but most reach that I've ever gotten a LinkedIn post was my repost of a Hilton ad. I think it was Hilton. And it was them with their like, oh, it's going to be terrifying if you go book a short-term rental. I think the joke was they got there and then there was like like a doll like sitting in a closet. And it was meant to be this like creepy kind of Halloween-esque type thing. And a lot of people shared it and put comments on it. A lot of people said, oh, Hilton must be scared of us. The hotel industry must be scared of us because they're doing these kind of attack ads. I think they missed the point a little bit. The point of the attack ad was like, you don't know what you're getting when you book a short-term rental property. That was part of the hook a little bit. And no one's there to help you because the last scene of that ad is the family having some kind of issue or something like that. And then walking to the front desk and someone's there, hi, how can I help you? But to your point of like thoughtfulness, like having someone there available to you that you can access by walking up to a front desk is more appealing. So maybe Adam, I'll go your direction because you've touched on a lot of these points already, but is there a way to replicate that? Is it just, is it a digital welcome desk, if you will? It's, oh, we're a message away. We are a support ticket away. Is it a phone call? Or should we just not recreate that at all? And it's up to us to do more outbound. I guess I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. And I think that we've, as an industry, I think we've all been trying to take the tech approach to that for a long time. Oh, we'll just add a, a text thing? message. I think there's value in it, right? I don't think, I think we should leverage tech to make things better. And Conrad, I think you've made this point. Tech shouldn't be something 
that is a negative. We should take tech to make ourselves better, make our operations better, make that client guest experience better. And I think there's opportunities for that. <clears throat> so to use that as an example, to think about it from a text message perspective or a follow-up phone call. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that to let them know, hey, we know you're there. We're here to help. There's some value in that. But I think that to Rebecca's point, there's a next level to what we're trying to accomplish. And I think it's a next level that the guests, potentially homeowners, are going to grow to expect. One, because of the price that we're putting on some of these and whether or not that stays high or maybe drops back down, it's still expensive. We talked about this last week. When Amy was mentioning that she could fly to Europe for the same price that it would be to rent a home in Gulf Shores, Alabama. That Those two things don't match up when you're going out to do that unless the experience in the Gulf Shores or wherever we're talking about is exceptional. And I think the exceptional part of that is that hospitality piece that Rebecca is talking about. The price tag becomes relatively irrelevant if you come out of that experience thinking that was amazing. What a great experience. They thought about me. They touched me at all the right times. They knew exactly what I was looking for. Everything I needed was there when I needed it without having to think about it. I think that's the part of the industry that we've got to get to, and we need to get there as quickly as we can. And it's interesting to hear you mention branding, Rebecca. That's, And I think it's, it's twofold. It's almost branding as an industry, right? We've allowed Airbnb to become the brand of this industry. When pe It's like Kleenex. You get people who don't know the industry and they say, oh, I'm going to stay in an Airbnb. Hmm. It's completely false, but that's the narrative that we as an industry have allowed to get out to the general public. And now they think Airbnb is doing something other than just listing on the site. That's all they do. They don't touch anything beyond just listing your home on a site. And you can hear Chesky talking about how he wants to build this travel community. Good luck. That's a huge concept. And the reality is all you're doing is collecting a fee for putting a home on the internet and then having someone find it. Now, there's a bigger discussion around that we started with Amy last week that I want to get back to in future episodes talking about what is AI and the future of search and direct booking and marketing actually bring back to the client? But at the end of the day, I think that this does come back to a branding exercise and it's an industry branding exercise as well as a branding exercise for each one of the business entities. So I, on a local level, Scott and I are trying to do this. We're trying to make sure that we brand Casago Del Mar and we brand Travel Advantage Network so that the guests recognize that they're going to get a really exceptional hospitality stay when they're with us. It's not easy. It's going to take time. We're going to have to put processes in place. We're going to have to be very thoughtful to Rebecca's point. But I think the bigger discussion, and especially if some negativity comes out, right? If Vacasa has issues or nightmare stories come out about Airbnb, we're going to have a black eye as an industry that we're going to have to recover from. So I think there's a bigger branding exercise as an industry that we've got to start to talk about. I don't know how to execute that. Rebecca, I think you might have a little background there to think through some of that branding and maybe what are we calling ourselves? I think that discussion has started in the industry. Are we vacation rentals? Are we short-term rentals? What do we want to even call ourselves? And that's a pretty big discussion to have. But again, thinking about pace, I think the faster we do this, the better. I have a question I'd like to ask because I'm curious as to hear Steve's thought on it, if that's okay. There's yeah. a section in the book where it talks about coffee and cocktails. And I want to kind of correlate this back to the vacation rental industry. So in, in top tier five-star dining, it talks about how there are certain standards across the whole restaurant industry of like, you're expected to deliver an amazing dish and you're expected to deliver it in a way that the service is impeccable and perfect. And that was a known thing across the entire fine dining industry. However, 
as the author will point out, coffee was like Folgers <laughs> during these experiences. It's like, how did we get to this point where this five tier, the three star dining, whatever it is, has amazing, impeccable service, food, everything, linens, and yet the coffee and the cocktails were like Folgers <laughs> and somebody was shaking a martini. Oh, like those two parts of that experience were just ignored, I guess I'll say, because a lot of focus went on the wine, a lot of focus went on the presentation. And so I think whatever brand is going to take, I'm, I'm going to own coffee. I'm going to start that coffee ownership. I'm going to start that. Somebody's going to own cocktails at our restaurant and make it out of this world. And he even said, like, somebody said, don't do cocktails. It takes 10 minutes to do one craft cocktail. It's not going to work. And he's don't tell me it's not going to work. Figure out how to make it work. So I think whatever brand is going to own that coffee cocktail, you know, and what is that, by the way, in the vacation rental industry? What is that Folgers version that we're still all doing that needs to become a pour over? <laughs> what is that in the vacation rental industry? And whoever, whatever brand is going to like own that, I think is going to be the breakout star. Yeah, I, it's a good question. And I think that it's, I think to get a good grasp on it, you have to understand the history of what's happened in our industry. At least from my perspective, 20 years ago, coming in here, it was all homeowners who had a place on the beach or in the mountains. They loved it. They bought it because they wanted to stay here also. They loved the city. Uh, they would find somebody who was a local person to hand out keys. We got to see everybody. We got to, we answered the telephones because there wasn't anything as direct books at the time. You actually had to answer the phone and take reservations. And you got to talk to them about why they were coming and they tell you stories and you get to know these people. And it started to shift slowly with the OTAs, but really where the market shifted was at the beginning of COVID and heavily into investors where people are buying multiple properties and it accelerated the choice of us as an industry, whether we are going to have efficiency over relationships. So the relationship portion of the transaction died to efficiency. There's a code, check-in, there's automation, it's going to automatically send you text messages. There's a process that happens automatically and we're suddenly very robotic and efficient and it's just happening. People are checking in, checking out, and I'm making money. And people are buying one, two, three, four, 10, 20 properties of their own and Never know who their neighbors are. Never know who the guests are. Just make sure the property's checked in and cleaned and ready for the next person. And it became this highly robotic system where the efficiency was chosen over the relationships that happened there. And I and when we get back to as the market softens and the saturation of inventory, especially those properties are not premium properties or those people who have leveraged themselves to the point where they can't afford a 10 or 15% drop in revenue, they're living pretty close to the belly and they're going to have a hard time with this. Those people will start to fall away. And this is very similar to what happened in 2008, where there was, you could see the people who were leveraging themselves heavily going into this, but they were very robotic in it. And I think that the good coffee is really comes down to who's going to start building relationships again mm -hmm. and who's going to be there on the ground loving on the people that are be checking in and checking out. And I think that takes for me and what I believe is this is still a locals game. It does have a tech element to it because the tech makes us bionic and allows us to operate at efficiency while still touching people. 
but you're going to you're going to have to have people who have ownership and 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 a deep commitment on the ground who's going to clean the properties who's going to call the, the guests who's going to check in with the homeowners who's going to reach out and make sure that this is more than just a process in which somebody gets to check in and out of something pretty it's doing more being more thoughtful is the is the coffee or the cocktail that has to happen not just more of more like you said by the way i actually had the book of that exact page when you said that mm-hmm. it's funny that you said that like, she must be she's seen my book but it's not just more of more which has been going on hey bigger house more money more efficiency go directly to it go directly after it you don't have to talk to anybody but more thoughtfulness what is, how do we make you feel welcome how do we make you so feel seen how do we make you feel heard while you're here, how do we make sure that this is something in which we know that it was your anniversary and you show up? How do we make sure there's a sign on the door or on the counter that lets us lets them know that we care about them, not just the process? I think that's the secret mix that has to happen. And you can't do that from a centralized location. It just won't work. You have to have somebody on the ground who is a deep believer in exactly what the mission is, which is hospitality. Scott, I think you've touched on a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago, we talked about you were like almost deputizing people on your team to be able to have a little bit more leeway to create more of these experiences. So maybe I guess I'm curious your practical application of what Steve just said. Is it just that? Is it just, hey, you have the authority, a person on our reservations team or person on our boots on the ground team to do that? Or is there, do people take that and run with it? Or do they need a lot more handholding and direction to make that a reality? I'm just curious. Yeah. Right yeah. So it's a great question and really a great follow-up to yesterday. We invited everyone to join us on transitioning to the art of hospitality or the unreasonable hospitality. And we've been working on this. So we've been talking about this since before Keystone. Keystone really pulled some elements together for us. But Conrad, one of the things we walked away with Keystone was autonomy, right? And Adam was, Adam and I were not in the same group at Keystone, but that kept ringing out of Adam's group and really focused on us. And it had been a missing part in our business, right? Is we've got so many rules. And again, they're dealing with multiple brands at the same time. And they were always feeling like, can they do this? Can they do that? And really, we took autonomy and said, find a way to yes. So one of our early things, right, Adam, what is probably a week or two after we got home, we actually have everyone on the phone asking, hey, tell me one thing. Give me one word that describes what you want out of this vacation. And they're getting that one word. And we're using that word and trying to piece together what it tells us about our map and our destinations. But now what we're trying to do, Conrad, is say, okay, now without asking, find out what that word is, right? And we're just implanting in them, like, how do you keep on taking it to the next level? Because what we're trying to pull out of them, give them the tools to do is get the nugget, not have to ask for it, put the nugget over on the side. And then Adam's got a whole process built where they take that nugget, drop it into the funnel over here. We've got a handwritten or a handwritten letter machine that writes the letter direct from the agent. Hey, we talked about this on the phone. We wanted to follow up with you. So we're watching it be contagious. Yesterday, when we put out the invitation, the floor was, they're ecstatic, right? And now they're all looking, right? Now they've got these trinkets on their desk. I think it's, and we've walked around it and I've said it a few times. I think service has been decent in the industry. I think that's most small to mid-sized companies, I think, have done very well on service. But again, I think technology enables service. So even in my little dust-up, the group I had a dust-up with, they're like, we've been servicing 
in this market just fine. And I wanted to say, and I didn't, I want to say, no, I totally agree. You haven't been providing hospitality. You've been doing great on service, but that that is where the differentiate. And again, it's not about any one company. I think it's happened to all of us. I think we've got to look and say, to Steve's point, efficiency creates a better engine, creates a better service. That's all fine. But that is not to be confused with hospitality. And Conrad, to loop this back around, until you have your entire team bought in to this is not just about service, this is about hospitality, I think that's the only way forward. And to Steve's point, we've got some operations where we're boots on the ground, right? And we're standing right there. We've got others that we're a little bit disparate from and we run regionally. But again, then Bill, who we've had on the podcast, has to have buy-in from George in Orlando to say, here's what we're working on and here's your part of it. And now you've got a vendor on the ground that's also contributing unreasonable hospitality and says, hey, I heard this while I was in with the owners. Hope you guys don't mind. I dropped a gift card on the table from us. That is the type of stuff that that is missing. And I think we talked about this when we talked about cleaning with dirt. We also have continued to find efficiency in cleaning and maintenance. What we've failed to realize is they're off also a hospitality partner now, mm-hmm. right? They are the ones, especially maintenance, that can touch the guests far more than we would. They can be the face-to-face with the guests. We shouldn't miss out on that opportunity. Yeah. I think that last piece, I'm curious, your perspective on the last two pieces, I guess, they're from Scott Adam, just with regards to this person is the person that can actually be in the property. Again, I guess part of it is like, how do we train them or what tools do we give them? I guess I'm leaning a little bit more towards like the breezeway side of things. Could we give them some kind of messaging system that would be technology enabled so they can open their phone and see the guest in there? And so when they knock on the door, it's, oh, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Norco, how are you guys doing? As opposed to, hey, I got, I'm here to fix something like that. That can be an awkward thing. So is that kind of more to that angle we were talking about before? Could you use the technology to give the information to that maintenance person on their phone so they can open it and access that information, but then train them? to actually act in a way that is more congruent with this idea of friendliness, hospitality, and someone just who who just says it's a pleasant interaction. Like I think that probably to Scott's point, like a lot of those interactions are awkward sometimes. So if you could just make that pleasant, like you're probably doing a step there. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Adam. But I think you're 100% accurate. So I'll tie a couple of those pieces together that Scott was talking about. 100% to answer your question, Conrad, I think that's exactly what technology does. I think the benefit of technology in this industry is that it speeds up our opportunity to create really great experiences. Prior to this technology, It took a long time for information from the field to reach the office, from the office back out to the field and actually execute what needed to be done to create those great experiences. Technology is giving us the ability to speed up that process tremendously. And Breezeway would be a great example. That maintenance person's out there. They see a good opportunity. They message back to the office. The office can execute in a variety of ways. And I'll touch on that in a second. But I think the other one you mentioned is a really low-level one, right? let me know the guest's name before I go knock on the door. And that should be in the app or it should be in the work order. It should. Those are small details that we know that we can definitely execute. But I think if you take a step back from that, I think there's two components that are crucial to this. One is the mindset, right? It's changing the way we think about this and it's changing the way our teams think about what we're doing on a daily basis. And I, I think that this is exciting. And this was talked about in the book quite a bit about how much people enjoyed their work once they started to look for these opportunities and then execute. They call them legends, start to execute these legends, right? They had these dream weavers that would then go out and create these great experiences, variety of different examples in the books. But we have that opportunity 
every day. Our teams are on the phones with these people for an extended time. Our people are seeing them in the properties. We have opportunities. If we just slow down just a little bit and have a discussion and actually seek the opportunity to build just a small relationship and try to pick out little nuggets that we can say, hey, they mentioned this, they've never done whatever, found a conch shell on the beach. You know what? I know where I can get one. I'm going to bring it back to them. That is such a small detail. And again, not luxury to Rebecca's point. It's not more for the sake of having more. That's thoughtful. Might not cost anything. I've got 15 conch shells on my stairs. I could walk outside and bring it to the guest if they happen to mention that. So it's small details like that. So to go back to what we're doing practically within the business, Scott mentioned these invitations. So we actually created an unreasonable hospitality invitation that had all of our company guidelines around it or our core beliefs. I'm not sure what we're calling them now, Scott. But anyway, our driving force behind all of this and associated with those were six trinkets. So we gave them an invitation to join us on this new journey, a new way of thinking about the business and looking at the business. And then we gave them a small gift associated with each one of those core beliefs. So to Scott's point, they're keeping them on their desk. They're excited. So now throughout the day, as they look up, they get to see these small things, Rubik's Cube, Prism, Compass, just small things to remind them of what we're doing and why we're doing it. So as they're having these discussions, they can start to look for those small pieces. And I'll give you a a good example that came up maybe a week or so ago. Someone emailed in and said that they had paid a pet fee, but the pet had passed away and they wanted to wipe away the pet fee. So first of all, obviously, yes, no pet fee. But the next thing we did is we went out, the person who had received this on our guest services side took the initiative. And again, from Scott's point about autonomy, this needs to be something that everybody's thinking about and doing on their own. And we need to have processes in place so that once they have this idea, they can then give it to the right person that can execute the dream weaver, as they call it in the book. So the person who took it then took the initiative to go out and find a gift that we could then give that guest. So when the guest arrived at the house this week, they had a gift waiting for them saying that we were sorry for their loss. Nothing that they had known about, just something that we could surprise them with. But I think those are the small details that were really highlighted in the book that changed it to be the number one restaurant in the world and not just focus on coffee and cocktails, but really focus on those small details That's amazing to think that we could adjust not only our business, but adjust the entire industry if all we do is slow down and listen and build a small relationship and just look for that one thing that they say that's important to them and then try to give them that one thing. And to Scott's points, find a yes. So our whole goal is listen, build a quick relationship, find a yes, and then try to execute on that yes. Now, we're still building out the processes. But that shows you those steps that we need to take. The front line needs to be listening. They need to be building that relationship. Then the front line needs to pass it on to the sport teams and the processes so that we can then execute out in the field. Uh, And this goes back to where Rebecca talked about in the beginning, and it's it's the magic. I I think the all lies in the magic. To have a guest not even realize that they told you what they wanted and then you delivered, that's magic. If you can pick it up and they go... How the hell did they know that? Game over. You checkmate one. You, there's, the next step is they're coming back to you. And I, I, get, I get goosebumps just thinking about it because I think that's the hook. Have these moments, owners, partners, guests, where you can have a conversation, not ask and go, oh man, I know the one thing to do for Rebecca. Right. And then when Rebecca gets there, it hits and she goes, I don't even know how they knew this. 
Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna go your direction, Steve. I think it was the first episode that we had together. We talked more about leadership and how you get the team to buy into what we I think we were talking about there's a list of values that every company has. They say they care about X, they say they care about Y, they care, they say they care about Z, but then you go see the reality of it and it never matches up to that. So the classic your call is important to us while you're on hold for 40 minutes. My call must not be that important because if it was, you hire more people and answer the phone when I call. So back to this kind of core idea, it seems like Adam and Scott are already putting in place very, again, practical, tangible things that blend, in my mind, what makes the most sense here. Some leeway, some control. Hey, you can do what you want. This is some ideas that you could build upon, but also some processes. Like here's ways to think about it. Here's ways that you can repeat this so you can deliver that same experience over and over again. But my question to you is, how do you do that, I guess, with the Casago brand when it's it's up to each individual local person on the ground to implement these ideas? Is it you just doing that through leadership and explaining it? Or is there like other practical ways that someone could look at your model and say, ah, I can do this now because I have these tools in my tool belt? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, first, yes, everybody owns their own company inside of Casago. So there's no like, uh, you have to do it exactly this way. And that would be a mistake when we tried to. There's some immutable principles we have through our credo, which is a set of principles that we operate on those are the being the owner's advocate to make sure the guests the guests are right through inches are personal guests. It goes down this entire list we talk about every single day. But from a leadership point of view, I think that what Scott and Adam are doing is they're building a culture of thoughtfulness. And as you go out and you build a culture of thoughtfulness, and I really think thoughtfulness is just another word for hospitality. As you really think about what is it, it's about being thoughtful. Was well, being thoughtful, being hospitable. You have to come out and make sure that as a leader, that does, does your team have the tools to be hospitable? You know, are they able, are you allowing them to get on the phone and have a discussion with the, these guests to find out what's their one thing or why are they coming or what do they need? And then do they understand the mission that you're giving them? Making sure that you're very clear on what that mission is and do they understand it? Have them have discussions about it. I found that if you tell people what the mission is, yeah, I got it. And then like, okay, tell me back to me. And, so they're like, wait, hold on a minute. That's not quite what we're thinking. Let's talk about it again. The more discussion back and forth there is, the more clarity on what the mission is. And then do they have the intent? Is the intent there to operate on your mission? And then do they have the personal motivation to, to operate? And a lot of this has to do with one, selecting the right people. I think Scott and Adam have talked about before, like when they came to Scottsdale, we had a talk and they were interviewing Casago if we would be a good fit for them from what their needs were. But we were also interviewing Scott and Adam is like, are you guys going to be a good cultural fit? And we had discussions like, hey, if without this, we're willing to walk away from the deal. And Scott was saying, and Adam were saying, if we don't have this, we're willing to walk away from the deal. We found alignment. And so starting with the foundation of alignment and then, then tools, mission, intent, motivation from a leadership point of view of enabling everybody is the way that this happens, but every office has to be able to do it their own way. Just like every person who's operating in your company has to be able to have their own voice and has to be able to offer hospitality in what's genuine and authentic to them. You can't just force scripts down somebody's throat and think that it's going to be hospitality. Right. It, you have to pick the right people, give them all the tools, make sure everybody understands the mission, make sure everybody's aligned. And then allow them to go forward and they may fall off some curbs. That's okay. Let them fall off a few curbs so they don't fall off the cliffs. And we all are learning and twisting our ankles and falling down and dusting our knees off and getting on with it. And that's how we become better. It's an imperfect process to hospitality. 
and even within hospitality. It's it's the w- only way that this works. Mm. I think this is from EOS and like the entrepreneurial operating system, which I know a lot of people are a fan of that book and that framework. It's in traction. And I think they say GWC, which is get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it. And I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying there a second ago, Steve, because sometimes if they don't get it, then how are they ever going <laughs> to execute upon it? In fact, it's impossible because right. they don't understand what they need to do. If they don't want to do it, so maybe they like, oh, I know what you want me to do. I just don't want to do it myself. That's going to be a heck of a challenge because you're having to push someone in a direction they're really pushing against you as opposed to rowing in the same direction. And then to the last point, do they have the right tools or the right access or the right permissions? Do they have the capacity to do it? So they could get it, they could want it. But if like they have no budget or they have no time in their day to actually carve out 10 minutes to do that one thing, to, to Adam's example from earlier, if they don't have 10 extra minutes to actually go grab the conch shell and drop it off the maintenance person because he's got 85 tickets that he's got to process, then it's also a busted point. So I like I think that's actually an appropriate way to think about it. Do they get it? Do they want to do it? And that sometimes can be, is the person in the right role for them? And then do they have the capacity to do it? And you have to have all three lined up at least pretty pretty much the right way. Otherwise you're not going to be able to get there for sure. And I'd argue yeah. that this industry is not lined up that way right now. I think that's one of the challenges. I think we're, we've got to put in new processes and new thought processes in order to get lined up to do those things. And some of that, to your point, Conrad, is potentially different people in different seats because maybe they don't want to do the things that we're about to ask them because it is a little different than we've operated in the past. But at the end of the day, this is the way that we need to move forward. I wholeheartedly believe that this is the future in this industry. And then your last point there, and this was Steve's primary point, is you got to have the tools. And everything that that Scott and I are talking about, we're implementing new tools and we're implementing new systems in order to do this. There's no way we could have done this with the same tools and systems we had three months ago. It's, it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Go ahead, Rebecca. Sorry, I was going to say, Adam, it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about mindset. Because the book had also talked about intentionality in his day. Like, I think his mom was like quadriplegic and his dad had to be very intentional about his day because mm-hmm. there there are no spare minutes in his day. And so if you start out with that intentionality of caring for someone and taking care of things that need to be done in that day, then you look at the tools, then you look at the AI, then you look at the tech, then you look, and when you look at all those things that are stacked, ready as resources for you your intentionality behind using them changes to your point about the mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to ask Scott of those three areas, get it, want a capacity to do it. Which one have you guys had to work on the most? Is it explaining what you're trying to get them to do? Is it getting them to actually do it? Or is it giving them tools and frameworks and such to get them yeah, to do it? Yeah. With us, it started with get it, right? I think we needed to show them a shift. Now, now for us, it's we've been lucky enough that as we've looked through the book, and I've actually started the kind of the partner book or Danny Meyer's book, which tells the same story, but from his perspective, we already do a lot of these things. Now, again, we don't do them to the degree that they do, but we look and at the core and we've talked about LaKendra, we've had her on here. A lot of this stuff was in place, but it was, hey, that's not a specialized thing anymore, right? That's not just what LaKendra does. Why don't we all do that, mm-hmm. right? And here's what LaKendra does and here's how you can do it on the day-to-day. So really it was delivering the message of that's what we're known for, but that's not what we're individually known for. What we're known for is group A handles this, group B handles this. Ooh, if you hit a problem, you go over to group C and don't worry, group C is really good. So what we've really had to take the step to do is back up and go, actually it's incumbent on all of us and you and group A can likely even keep it from getting to group C because when it hits group C, they're already escalated. So if we can do that work back here, but it's funny as we've had this conversation and we talked branding and we've talked magic, I'm curious back on Rebecca's side, right? So 
If you look at, and I've been extremely critical of Picasso, although not as verbal as many, but if you really step back and as we've looked at what we're going to do with Casago Del Mar, and Steve and I drove Ocean City up to Delaware, top to bottom, stopped at every place that is on the map there. But if you really take a step back, right, Picasso's got 4,000 something units. And then you look at their swath. And right now, today, we can all go on there and we can get a, a condo that for $59 a night for next weekend, or we could get one for $3,500 a night, right? Now that's in one place. So what other place in the world, in any other market, can you go to an operator, like someone that's going to provide you that product and get that price range? It's unheard of, right? So you look at it and go, that's just online aggregation. So imagine now being the front person, the frontline person, right? Maybe they get it. But Conrad, how do you then say, uh, I know you get it, but really what you need to get is the $59 a night people like, eh, not so much there. This side, heavy there. It, there's too much level of get it. And I think that's re what Rebecca and Travis are starting to really poke through with the 100 collection is say, there is something special about these. And in order to be in the 100 collection, everyone has to get it, right? Because the expectations are different for that. And I think that goes a lot to the branding, right? Casago Del Mar, and I've said this repeatedly, we're not looking to grow and be the largest. We'll actually probably be one of the mid-tier companies when you look at total number of properties. When you look at revenue, it'll be hard to touch us because we're only going for specific units that meet a specific criteria that likely we're going to, our goal all said and done is we should get every one of our units in with Rebecca and Travis, right? That's where we're headed. But again, it, that's far easier than big company or small company. When you have a product that varies that much, you've got to, you've got to equip your people, wait, and maybe it's technology, Conrad, right? Maybe it's the capacity, but you've got to tell them like, hey, not so much on the 59, very much so on the 3,500. I guess I'm, I guess I'm thinking of like car manufacturers and like 100%. even Toyota is when we get over 50,000 or maybe who knows now car prices are so high, maybe it's 60,000. We're going to call that a Lexus where it's really the same thing. So even a car brand is we can't sell the budget customer and even like the mid-range customer, the same product. We've got to slap a different label on it or Honda Lexus, whatever, pick your flavor of high, low. But yeah, that's a, that's an extreme example. Obviously the guest profile you're going after at the $60 per night unit versus the 3000, those people don't even live in the same planet <laughs> as far as treating them. But your, maybe Rebecca, we can gear, go your direction. I know we do have to put a bow on this one. We only have a few minutes left here, but that idea of branding and that, like what you stand for, I think you touched on that earlier. How, is that possible? Can someone service a $60 and a $3,500 per night property? Or is it that you, someone has to hone in and say, no, this is kind of what I'm going after to, as Scott and Adam have done that work. This is our profile. Or is there a room for someone who can be almost like a chameleon and adapt to the low end and the high end. Maybe your thoughts on that from a brand perspective. There's a reason that Marriott has 31 logos under yeah, the R sure. brand section, yeah. right? You you could stay at a West End, you could stay at a Fairfield Inn, you could stay at a Ritz. So there's there's a variety of, of logos, a variety of tiers of pricing, like you were saying. I don't think they ignore the repairs that need to be done in a Fairfield Inn, but if they had one mechanic, they're going to send them to the West End first. <laughs> But yeah, for the hundred collection, it's about thoughtfulness. It's about hospitality mm -hmm. at its core. Not, and that's why you will not see the word luxury anywhere on the 100 collection website <clears throat> because it is about hospitality, hundred mm -hmm. percent through and through. And so you will find a one bedroom in some locations that's like cozy. And then you will find like a 10 bedroom in some places that's just expansive, but 
no matter which location or which brand you decide to stay with, it, you're going to have a top tier hospitality experience that will bring you back. So that's ultimately the goal. And then of course, industry-wide, we're hoping to inspire others, like Scott was saying, you know, to set that like idealistic, inspirational goal of reaching that gold standard. And just to circle back on the Disney thing, sorry, I can't help it. I grew up in Orlando. The level of attention to detail, I've seen that in a lot of what Casago is doing. That is what lasts. You get a culture, you get a company, you get an ethos that is that dedicated to, I don't want to say perfectionism, but close and, and detail and caring about the thoughtfulness. That's what lasts through generations. Disney's 50 year, 75 year anniversary. That's what will last. Yeah, right on. Adam, maybe I'll go your direction. Anything else that we should be, it's hard to end the conversation, I guess, because we there's so many more layers to keep. To, it's like an onion. It's like a we can keep peeling back additional layers and keep finding additional talking points. But your thoughts or anything else that we should be thinking of before we let Rebecca and Steve go for today? I, I think the good news is that we know we're going to have Steve back in 10 episodes. So we can continue <laughs> to peel back this layer. And I'm sure we'll be talking with Rebecca again here soon. The only one that I've gotten, this is not nearly enough time to talk about this, but I'm curious because we've got Rebecca on here. You you talked a little bit about it on LinkedIn and I mentioned it earlier in the episode. What do you think we should be calling ourselves as an industry? That is a really good question. And it does come down to semantics. I think people are self-identifying with vacation rental as a destination market. I think if your company is in a destination market, you are a vacation rental company. I think if you are in a market that is maybe more urban or more rural or you're skip hopping around Europe, then you have the mindset of being a short-term rental because you're just going to get a let or a flat and head out. That's the mindset that I've seen. And I don't know that we need to come up with one word that we all say for all of this. I think if we just get around the word hospitality, then the secondary term is vacation rental. The secondary term is short-term rental. The numero uno word is hospitality. I'm right there with you. I think that's a fantastic way to think about it. That's the way it's all, almost naturally happened anyway. Those urban areas call themselves SDRs. The beach markets call them VRMs. So yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think to your point, what we should all come back to is hospitality. We should be just beating that into everybody over and over again, hospitality. Right on. Yeah, Steve, thank you for coming back. I don't know if you agreed to that 10 episode thing or we just agreed for you, but I like it. So I'm all for it. And of course, thank you, Rebecca, as well for coming back. This was a fun one. And we got to meander through a lot of things and we appreciate it. What we also appreciate is when people leave reviews. So if you liked what Rebecca had to say, or Steve or Scott or Adam, definitely do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. That helps us out quite a bit. And then more people can listen to what we're saying here. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. And we will catch everybody here on the next episode. Thanks so much. Bye.